Welcome to the Polite Conversations podcast, where every episode is focused on civility, decorum, and good manners. And I'm your lovable, non-controversial host, Ina. If you know me, you know I definitely don't like to ruffle any feathers at all. I've been away for a while, and uh, pardon my flu voice, please. I have tried to wait it out, but my voice is just taking its sweet-ass time to get back to normal, unfortunately, and, uh, you know, I had to release the episode. Luckily, though, I sounded like my regular self when I recorded the main part of this conversation, so you don't have to put up with this version of my voice for too, too long. Well... Wow, I don't think I've done a proper polite conversations episode since last summer due to a family tragedy that many of you will have heard about in my update. But anyway, um, I am back now. New logo, new intro and everything. Heck, I thought it was time for a much needed, cheerful, fun episode that'll hopefully have you laughing as much as I was. This is part one of a two-part episode. Both parts will be available on Patreon, but initially only part one will be released on the public feed. You can subscribe over at patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes to access both parts. Episodes like this are a lot of editing, making music, research, clipping and stuff. So if you'd like to help support that, it would be much, much appreciated. All right. So it is officially episode 69 of the Polite Conversations podcast. But of course, I've done way more episodes than that. I just number them all different. Panel episodes, Woking Up, The After Show, etc. But yeah, you know, I thought doing episode 69, we'd make it a special one. And I thought we could open with a beautiful reading of the classic Dawkins tweet. At Richard Dawkins. Replying to At Woosley. At Woosley, I've seen a dog and bitch indulging in full 69 males of many species, including drosophilia, lick female genitals before copulation. Ah, <laughs> oh, how could I not have included that? A special thanks to Jack from the I Don't Speak German podcast. Anyway, here's your content warning. Everything you're about to hear is totally inappropriate and ridiculous, and it's a whole lot of talk about sex coming from the unsexiest corners of the universe. So do not blast it at your workplace or in front of kids or anything. And if this next musical bit causes your genitals to shrivel up a little bit, I will take no responsibility for that. Listen at your own risk. Here we go. But they are fomenting a porn revolution. Porn revolution. Orgasms? Orgasms? state of your vagina. That is Shakespearean 
evolutionary psychologist. Just in time for mating. So polyamory is as new relative to human mating as a smartphone. My God, you've got a juicy butt. The moisture state of your vagina. Porn revolution. Uh, I'm not a fan of promiscuity or one night stands or any casual sexual relationships for that matter. Can't tell when they're ovulating. Orgasms. Orgasms. I don't think there is such a thing as casual sex. I think that's indistinguishable from masturbation, which I also don't regard as a particularly heroic act. associated with like apples that are glistening a well-calibrated mate value autoerotic asphyxiation autoerotic asphyxiation can't tell when they're ovulating today for episode 69. Yes, 69 of the Polite Conversations podcast. I've got the one and only Mr. Evo Psych Googling himself here with me. Hello, this is Jeffrey Miller. (laughs) Not that one. (laughs) No, hi. (laughs) (laughs) Many of you uh, will know his delightful Twitter account, Evo Psych Google, and if you don't, I highly recommend that you check it out. So I thought, hey, what better opportunity could there possibly be to discuss all the ultra rational, extremely not ridiculous or anything sex related Evo Psych takes out there in the IDW sphere or the heterodox sphere, whatever they may be calling themselves these days. So, hey. Hey. Mr. Evo Psych Googling, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Very nice to be here. So who are you? This is like my top question that I'm getting. <laughs> you are not well, an American called Kevin Bird. I, well, I am not an American called Jeffrey Miller either. Right. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> No, I am not from America, and I am a molecular biologist. I don't have a PhD. (laughs) 
I'm not a professor, unfortunately. So or fortunately. You can discount everything I say. But yeah, I've been fascinated by this wonderful world of Evo Psych for a few years now. <laughs> and I love it and also don't love it a bit. I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> right, right. I know the feeling. <laughs> you do a great job putting it out there and informing people about how ridiculous some of it is. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Yeah, not a PhD, not a professor, but you are a science person, so... Yes, I can... That I could say that much. This is good. That is not something I can say, so... I am employed as a scientist, <laughs> molecular biologist, whatever, and yeah. But you're one of those, like, I... evil, woke scientists, right? Like the... That's right. Yeah. yeah, I'm, you know, behind the scenes, <laughs> pulling the levers of peer review. I love your pinned tweet, by the way. Peer review is censorship... Every time your paper gets rejected, that is me. Yeah, because it's not woke enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I noticed that your um, pin tweet was from, like, 2019 or something. Yeah, it was one of my earlier tweets, I think. Right, but I think <laughs> they recently did this take, like, in the heterodox sphere. Like, was it because of the Journal of Dangerous Ideas or something like that? <laughs> No, they've been doing it for ages, but yeah. Oh, have they? Have they? Oh, okay. I mean, I don't remember uh, what the event was that made me tweet that. But, um, yeah, no, they keep doing it. Okay, so it's I not it was... new. I was like, oh, you were just making a joke, and look, here they are, seriously saying it's censorship. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's a theme. Yeah. I will say that there is, like, an element of truth that, you know, peer review is kind of shitty. It's something that we all do. And sometimes you do get, like, just dummies reviewing your papers. Well, yeah. Um, Remember yeah. this uh, penis hoax <laughs> shit? That's right, yeah. <laughs> Not that they proved anything that they set out to prove, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, they did show that there were some terrible peer-reviewed journals out there. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. You could get anything published. You just have to keep looking. Right, exactly. <laughs> and especially if you're paying to publish, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot of luck. <laughs> um, but I think, in you know, my opinion, even though peer review is sucky, in a lot of cases with, you know, these evo psych papers or race scientists like <laughs> no your papers are just bad <laughs> that's why they're getting rejected yeah so sucky is not censorship you know yeah <laughs> yeah so tell uh, us a little bit more about what evo psych really is like i'm not an academic or a <laughs> science person at all even though i seem to be Talking about these phrenologists a lot <laughs> on my show. Well, yeah, I think uh, Evo Psych is kind of this attempt to explain different human psychological behaviors through the lens of evolution, and but usually that means the lens of adaptation, mm. <laughs> and there's. A lot 
lot of, I think, well, there's a few assumptions that go into, you know, your basic standard Evo psych kind of research project, where it's like, think about what evolution would have wanted, you know, in an ideal world, like, um, well, yeah, so, for an example, there's a problem of female infidelity, <laughs> and so then that puts pressure on men to detect that infidelity. How would they detect that? Maybe they evolved to eat pussy. (laughs) (laughs) I heard about this one just recently. And then, you know, you find that you do a study, a psychological study. Doesn't necessarily mean you look at, you know, evolutionary or historical evidence. And if the, you know, data is consistent with the uh, adaptationist hypothesis, then that's yeah, kind of evidence that is adaptation. <laughs> and you don't need to go further. So to me, a lay person, it seems like a lot of it is just like a bunch of bros who want to like have an excuse to do pervy stuff in their studies and be like, oh yeah, we examined like a bunch of D-cup breasts and their <laughs> intermammary distance or whatever. Yeah, I do. Exam- I do get that impression as well. Like that their psych says, well, their psych studies says a lot more about their own psychology <laughs> than general human psychology, I think. <laughs> like, especially with something like Jeffrey Miller, you know, my favorite. If there are skills and aptitudes that people suddenly develop an interest in when they fall in love and they really want to display those that's a hint that it might have been sexually selected if people brag about a certain thing on their okcupid dating profile right that that's sort of a hint and i'm sure we'll get into him later oh yes but i have he's wild. spent the whole day like diving into a jeffrey miller rabbit hole in your honor. <laughs> yeah that's I, I saw a few um <laughs> clips you posted <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I swear, like with Jeffrey Miller, it's the there is like a very pervy angle to <laughs> his work. It's like yeah, he's so creepy, like oh. going to strip clubs and I guess observing the strippers uh, and how many tips they get when they're ovulating or not ovulating. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, <laughs> like. Yeah, bro, it's just, it's science. I'm doing it for science. That's why I'm going to the strip club every night. Yeah, it's a great, you know, excuse to spend all your, you know, research funds on just going to the strip club. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) And how do we know that he wasn't the one just tipping these strippers? (laughs) Just a cool, yeah, exactly. Um. (laughs) Because... The because his sorry his hypothesis being like oh the strippers like they just perform better when they're ovulating because you know they're like in heat. Oh my god, it's so. But no, maybe it's like maybe maybe it was him. Like he's like able to detect this, like sniff it out. Like he's getting it all backwards. Uh, I have uh, wondered if if I was going to be able to like have a proper conversation today because this <laughs> is so much ridiculous. No, let's get back. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> right. So the um, uh, man has evolved to eat pussy uh, paper. That 
like, what is the theory behind that? Like, so there might be infidelity. So if he, if he goes down there, then he should be able to taste if it's somebody else's sperm versus his own <laughs> sperm. And like, yeah. really? <laughs> <laughs> so this was by a 2013 paper, I believe in personality and individual differences. Horrible journal. <laughs> Does a lot of evo psych stuff by Fam and Shackleford. And let's see what they say. They say they documented that men at greater risk of their partner's infidelity reported greater interest in and spent more time performing <laughs> oral sex on their partner. <laughs> I mean, how do you measure this stuff, though? Like, how do you know? What, yeah. What's the greater risk? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I suppose I need to read it again, but you know, just a survey. Yeah. And you know, it could be that they're, you know, just based on that alone, I, you know, it could be that these men are, you know, putting in more effort because they, because they're insecure, <laughs> are a bit anxious, yeah. and you know, they want to put in the work and make sure their partner's happy. So when you're doing virtue signaling and courtship, like it's all good unless you're doing it deceptively. Right. And and the whole <laughs> ovulation thing, if that was true, even remotely, it would be so beneficial, like for fertility purposes. You wouldn't have all these ovulation tests and like going to the doctor to figure out when you're most fertile, right? Because men would be able to snip it out and be like, honey, no, it's time. I know it's time. Let's do it. We'll make a baby tonight, right? Like, it's like it's so expensive to do all these fertility treatments. And if we could just yeah. avoid that because men evolved to uh, sniff out ovulation, it would save everyone a lot of trouble. Yeah, we need Jeffrey Miller to be like <laughs> beating you know women and then be like here's his two dollars <laughs> and you're like oh my god it's time oh, like i don't know because of like learning about him and his creepy studies and stuff like but he just comes off so slimy and creepy like because i was watching him today he's like he's like this soft spoken with like a just everything about him is ugh, he's such a funny guy because like his uh, Twitter presence is like very hostile and aggressive and then when you see <laughs> like videos of him he's like very meek and soft spoken yeah, yeah. and kind of like you know the kind of nervous professor stereotype. <laughs> With his sweaters. <laughs> but it's like, no, you, he's insane. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. So tell me what drew you to Jeffrey Miller of all Okay, people. yes. <laughs> this is the my origin story. Yes. So I had been, this is, God, way back when there was, I think, Jane, what was his name? The Google guy who wrote the... Oh, James Damore. James Damore, that's right. So, yeah, James Damore wrote that thing, got fired, and then Quillette wrote a thing in James Damore's defense. Mm. And, you know, Jeffrey Miller was one of the people writing in Quillette, which is, like, completely new at the time to me. I had no idea. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I was like, hmm, this... And he was, you know, arguing a lot with uh, different scientists that I followed on Twitter... I was like, hmm, this guy 
don't know who this guy is, but I'll follow him. <laughs> just because I know it wasn't like a an improving follow. It was just like I'm going to follow him because <laughs> he's <laughs> stirring up trouble, and mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> and then I was just. You know, he kept appearing on my timeline. I kept getting annoyed at him, like deeply annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) And then it came to a breaking point where there was a presentation by some like Evo Psych PhD student. I think this is like 2019 or 2018. And it was at a like a mainstream Evo Psych conference. And this guy, he presented basically an old race science theory that is called Winter's Theory <laughs> to explain oh, yes. why, you know, uh, societies in colder latitudes, you know, colder climates have more economic development as because of their higher IQ. <laughs> and, you know, it's bullshit because he cites the work of, like, Richard Lynn mm. and all that. IQ data is kind of just fabricated, basically. <laughs> so, can you just, like, briefly summarize yep. what the cold winter series is for the listeners? Yes. So, basically, briefly, it's the Evo psych race science <laughs> theory that Europeans evolved higher intelligence than, you know, Africans, because something about the cold climates forces, well, you know, puts pressure on us to evolve higher intelligence because something about, like, you need to plan ahead for the winter, Mm. you need to, like, plant your crops and, you know, and then harvest your crops and put stuff away before the winter comes, and that requires a high amount of, (laughs) you know, intelligence and planning. And, you know, this is just asserted without any kind of Mm -hmm. additional evidence. It's just like, well... (laughs) <laughs> that's just how it is yeah, sounds about right and so, <laughs> I saw Charles Murray was uh, tweeting about that too yes. and uh, yeah, yeah it's not like you know surviving in extremely hot climates is super easy or it doesn't need any planning or like <laughs> yeah exactly it's like a, just an extremely simple just so story mm. basically but, yeah, so this was presented, this work was presented at this Evo Psych conference, and someone who was at this conference tweeted the photos of, of the slides and, like, the graphs, and Jeffrey Miller was in the replies being like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> this makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> and, I was like, and everyone was, like, making fun of this, like, what the fuck, guys? Well, at least biologists... And so that got, I guess, you know, Jeffrey Miller (laughs) defending it and arguing with people. And I was like, fuck this guy. (laughs) I'm just going to stop parodying him because he doesn't know shit. Um, I think there's a a continuity between sexual selection for sexual ornamentation in nature and consumer choice for goods and services in the modern market economy. And then, you know, he blocked me a day later. <laughs> He's very <laughs> he quick on the block, yeah. <laughs> and so, and that paper uh, is basically, you know, how Twitter has, like, the banner picture. It's not, like, my profile picture, but, you know. Yeah. The 
banner picture you could put on, like, you know, your timeline or whatever. The graph from that, where it's like, <laughs> is actually from that paper. Oh. The paper that pissed me off so much. <laughs> yeah, it's like cold. What is it? <laughs> I need to actually look at it again. <laughs> I should know this. This is my own fucking Twitter account. Oh, yeah. Cold demands. Uh, points to an arrow of economic complexity and cold demands also points to an arrow of intelligence uh-huh. and that points to that has an arrow pointing to economic complexity uh-huh. and it has like <laughs> the correlation is just like beside the arrows as like really tiny little uh correlations but they have like they're like super significant it's like three stars <laughs> P is less than zero point zero zero seven. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> reminds me of that website that has those silly correlations of like dying in bed versus how much <laughs> cheese you eat, and like, like obviously nonsensical correlations. <laughs> oh, yep. <yeah. laughs> like Nick Cage. Uh, movie releases yes, timed yes, with like exactly timed with war crimes yeah. or something i don't know <laughs> yeah well it's all science you know numbers and lines and things that must mean it is thinky stuff yeah so that's my origin story and i suppose i need to say this um in advance because Evolutionary psychologists, uh, you know, are quite, um, I don't want to say, like, sensitive, but, you know, <laughs> sensitive. <laughs> They're like, any critic, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm just making fun. I'm just having fun. But any criticism is like, oh, so you think evolution stopped at the neck? I'm like, no, obviously, <laughs> the brain evolved. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, I can see that you know, some of our behaviors, maybe even a lot of our behaviors are, you know, adaptive, possibly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for example, like, I think, you know, there's a good reason why the feeling of social ostracization is such a painful feeling, mm-hmm. because, like, we are social animals, and that's, you know, that's the environment we evolved in, and it's likely that <laughs> those feelings also, you know, evolved. But yeah, and I think there are reasonable things. Like, if you get to we're down to specific things, I could agree. With, like, yeah, I could see something like some behaviors could be adaptive. Mm-hmm. I mean, but you know, also just in a broad sense, everything evolved mm-hmm. <laughs> fact, yeah yeah like the fact that we can even like you know that we even feel like anger or love you know mm-hmm. that's because we evolved and it doesn't mean they're adaptations necessarily but you know overall i think you know the fact that the brain did evolve and that our behaviors you know <laughs> also evolved doesn't forgive some of the really ridiculous stuff. Uh, you know, there's a lot of funny, bad stuff, which we'll get into, mm-hmm. and which, you know, is just funny and probably harmless. But then there's also some really, you know, harmful stuff, right. like just straight-up sexism and racism. Right, right, exactly. 
Some of it is yeah, just, ahead. it's funny, but it's also harmful because of how people might use it to justify, like, weird views about women or... Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Evo Psych is kind of a favorite among the incel exactly. community. Exactly. And I think there's, like, you know, there's an obvious reason for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's kind of... It has that black pill appeal. Like, yeah, women are these choosy but also, like, deceptive creatures. Mm-hmm. And and they only go for, like, the most dominant men. <laughs> it's just... And they're doing this, like, this, you know, just cold calculus of, you know, I won't have sex with you if you don't earn this much money or whatever. <laughs> if you're not a high value mate. <laughs> or, you, or you're not, you're not six foot six. <laughs> right, right. One of the things about human beings that's unique is that human females are picky maters. They're choosy. They're also sneaky because you can't tell when they're ovulating and with many other female animals you know. They have hidden ovulation and they're choosy and they tend to choose men who are more successful in the dominance hierarchy. <laughs> I learned today from watching Jeffrey Miller that uh, people who have tattoos and piercings are signaling um, to people that they're like more open for threesomes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I have tattoos and piercings, so I did not know that I was <laughs> letting everyone know <laughs> that I'm open for threesomes. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, as a germaphobe and uh, someone in a monogamous relationship, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's a great example because it's like you, they see a trait, in this case, just like tattoos or piercings, mm-hmm. and they atomize that trait like <laughs> this must have evolved as a signal, <laughs> which kind of does that, does he, is he assuming that? You know, there are genes or, like, you know, alleles for, <laughs> for tattoos. tattoos and piercings. No, I don't think he, he said that, but he was saying that this is how people, like, signal mating cues or whatever. <laughs> <Okay>. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like, well, is that really the case? Like, I'm sure, have you considered other explanations why people would get tattoos and piercings? Right, like, <laughs> you know? there's so many, right? If I were to honestly... <laughs> think about my own um, coming mm. from a restrictive culture and growing up in a place like Saudi Arabia where I was made by the state to wear a black cloak um, mm. I guess when I got the opportunity I uh, did the opposite of that and just pushed whatever <laughs> boundaries I could I, I guess right I mean I didn't plan yeah, it that well, way yeah. but there you go. if I think about it that's probably what it was it was nothing to do with threesomes as far as I know yeah so it's <laughs> you've just yeah shown that it's like a cultural thing <laughs> which you know that's one of my criticisms and I suppose many people's criticisms of Psych is the you know ignorance of um cultural explanations <laughs> yeah but you know even just general other evolutionary explanations right right oh, yeah just like um i guess belonging even could be a reason for people to tattoo in many cultures right to yeah create a group like or- a 
yeah, like a yeah, a social kind of bonding experience. Because, you know, I mean, I don't have tattoos, but I know that people who do have tattoos, they like to talk about <laughs> their tattoos, right? <laughs> so, I apologize. I mean, I um, <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that was a stereotype. But, okay. Uh, yeah. Oops. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. <laughs> I'm all right with that. Here I go. <laughs> Here I go again. <laughs> no, it's just, it's it's funny because when I was listening to him and I was like, really? That's, you're sounding very sure there, buddy. And then they also talked about girls who wear black chokers as being like a yes, low-job black belt. I didn't quite understand that. Like, <laughs> um, is yeah, that like that a was... black belt like you're skilled? Like in martial arts? I or... have no fucking idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard this as well. Like, yeah, women who wear chokers are signaling that they are Loose women. <laughs> like, honestly, it blew my mind because I've never heard this before. I would just caution young people that, like, what you want is you want maximum flexibility to adjust your signals that you're sending out in a way that is, like, dynamic and adaptive. If you get a permanent tattoo that's visible in every job interview or at, at your wedding or whatever... It's hard to go back from that. It's hard to do tattoo removal. Whereas if you're wearing, you know, black belt choker, at least you can take that off and like then become respectable on Monday. And uh... this was a few years back as well. There was some, um, again, photos from an EvoSci conference. And it was like yeah, the correlation between <laughs> women who wear chokers and their openness to, uh, like, or their promiscuity or something. I don't was, get it. Know, Why, though? And it was basically <laughs> dots, like, random dots with, like, <laughs> lines through, <laughs> like, a big correlation. <laughs> like, hmm, I'm not sure if there is. I'm not convinced. <laughs> you know, no, I'm not convinced because I think, like, in the 90s, Chokers were like pretty big, just generally amongst like preteens and teens, and I don't think it was seen as a symbol of promiscuity. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's just like a fashion trend. Yeah, <laughs> things go in and out of fashion. Unless they're talking about like BDSM <laughs> chokers, I don't like. But I mean, who would wear that in public, right? Uh, lots of people. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure some people do. <laughs> There's a whole subculture <laughs> around wearing that in public. Okay, well. <laughs> um, Look at me being the... I'm not woke at all. <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily woke. I don't think that's woke, no. No. <laughs> that just means you haven't gone to many fetish nights or hung around too many goths. <laughs> <laughs> but mm. <clears throat> enough about chokers though tell me about high okay. heels and how we uh evolved to what, what was that one yes <laughs> okay i have that paper open in front of me excellent so as is i get one of my favorite papers <laughs> <laughs> so senior author on the paper is david embus who's a big deal 
just jumping in to say that uh, while editing this episode, um, since my YouTube recommendations were total garbage after I prepped for this conversation, I saw that uh, David Buss had been a recent guest on Rogan's podcast, and I thought you guys might enjoy this little clip too. Do the mate preferences change at ovulation in the predicted in the ways predicted by the theory. Okay, so how would they find that out? How would they find okay. out if a woman's mate strategies changed and if her preferences okay. changed so based they, on ovulation? So they basically get women and then they track them throughout the cycle. Uh, and so they, and they can do this. Now they, they can do it through uh, hormonal assays. Uh, so there are, you know, ovulation kits that they can... Um, so what do they have, like a, like, a, like, like a survey they fill out? Like, who are you attracted to today? Harry Styles. What about tomorrow? Something like oh, that. Jason Momoa, I must be ovulating. Right, right. Or, the, or basically they show photographic images. And so the women just rate, oh, how attractive is this guy? Hmm. Uh, and so what they, and then they, independently they can assess masculinity like, like Jason, how do you pronounce his name? Momoa. Momoa. Aquaman. Uh, yeah, he's uh, like super masculine. I, I remember him, uh, I don't think I saw Aquaman, but I remember him from uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, when, when, Conan the Barbarian, too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he would be a perfect example. Yeah. Hi, highly masculine yeah. features, you know, the um, square jaw, heavy brow ridge, ridges, you know, uh, you know, uh, a good. Um, Shoulder to hip ratio, so uh, you know, typically masculine features. He's like a major name and player in Evo Psych. Oh, really? So this is not, you know, people sometimes be like, "You're misrepresenting Evo Psych. You're just cherry picking like the worst shit." Mm -hmm. And to that, I say, "Well, yes." <laughs> <laughs> because it's fun <laughs> and it's funny, but also like this is, you know, David Buss is, you know, he is at the top of his game. He is a minor celebrity. He's a big deal in Evo Psych. Yeah, yeah. So this is not just some like just random paper by some nobodies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is like mainstream, mainstream Evo Psych. And the paper is Why Women Wear High Heels, Evolution, Lumbar Curvature, and Attractiveness. Oh, wow. Yes, yes. I remember briefly skimming through that. Something to do with the spine signaling <laughs> yeah. health? Like, what, what was it? Like, the curvature of the spine? Yeah, so basically, yeah, women wear high heels to... Um, I guess hyper extend or whatever the curvature of their spine, you know, helps them, I guess, stick their bum out. And this is, you know, an evolutionary <laughs> adaptation, I guess. And it's funny because they like describe an optimum of the female spine curvature. And I'm like, hold on, <laughs> there's an optimum. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so, like by angle yeah. like 45 like by ang you're like yeah wow by angle it's and all, so they say all very sciencey another set of numbers there <laughs> so they say um Using a recently discovered evolved mate preference, we hypothesize that high heels influence women's attractiveness by effects of their lumbar curvature. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, their lumbar curvature increased and they were perceived as more attractive. So men are, I guess, perceiving the curvature of their spines as more attractive when they're in high heels. Like, I can see that, uh, (laughs) like, the posture does change and you kind of stick your boobs out more and your butt out more, so I can see why men might find that more attractive, right? But I don't know if it's to do, like... I'm not sure if it's the women who are, you know, the ones... That they're cognizant of that. Right, that they're like, not, that they're evolved <laughs> to kind of adorn their feet yeah, in they, this way. They did this. <laughs> I did this. They're hacking <laughs> the men's brain. <laughs> oh, but uh, no, I mean, most women that I talk to um, now, uh, now in my like after uni days as a mom of a toddler wanting to wear comfortable shoes, um, <laughs> nobody. <laughs> loves heels like they are painful (laughs) awful horrendous things in my opinion Uh, (laughs) it's true you can't get used to them like when i used to wear heels like on a regular basis you can kind of numb yourself to the pain and then just get used to it um yeah i have heard that heels are not you know something that are comfortable or <laughs> that women like to wear yeah. frequently. <laughs> <laughs> they are not. They are not great. So, yeah, this paper has a amazing conclusion, which I kind of, it angers me. <laughs> I want to, I want to do a little, I want to do something here. I want to do a compare and contrast. All right. Okay, so this is them. This is David Buss and, you know, others. Conclusion. The current study illustrates how an evolutionary theoretical framework can move research toward a deeper understanding of the specific cues that influence human psychology of attractiveness. By working from the starting point of a specific adaptive problem and a reliable morphological cue to the ability to solve that problem, researchers can generate tight, theoretically anchored hypotheses about specific features that should be important attractiveness cues. Okay, so this is like, wow, they're really (laughs) hammering home how amazing Evo Psych is. Yeah. Which, you know, most most, like areas of science do not do they're not like look how great we are (laughs) it's just like it sounds uh, insecure already okay and here's what i want to contrast it with this is charles darwin in the origin of species in the chapter what is it correlated variation and he's describing a flower here he says, with respect to the development of Corolla, Sprengel's idea that the ray florets serve to attract insects whose agency is highly advantageous or necessary for the fertilization of these plants is highly probable. And if so, natural selection may have come into play. But with respect to the seeds, it seem impossible that their difference in shape, which not always correlated with any difference in the Corolla, can be in any way beneficial. He has in the Umbrellatheria, mispronounced that species. These differences are of apparent importance. The seeds being sometimes orthospermous in the exterior flowers and colospermous in the central flowers. 
that the elder Dikandola, I don't know that species, I founded his main <laughs> divisions in the order of such characters, hence modifications of structure viewed by a system as, as of high value, may be wholly due to the laws of variation correlation without being, as far as we can judge, of the slightest service to the species. <laughs> so basically, long story short, Darwin there is highlighting that there are things in biology that have no benefit to the species mm-hmm. that are just there because they're there. Biology is imperfect and evolution is imperfect. Mm-hmm. And not everything makes sense from an adaptive point of view. Right, right. <laughs> That's Darwin, like the guy. The guy, yes. He knows, and but for some reason, seems to me... A lot of times, and you know, not every time, but too many times, the evolutionary psychologists miss this point <laughs> that <laughs> evolution is imperfect. Not everything is a perfect adaptive like response. <laughs> not everything is the result of natural selection there are other things going on in evolution <laughs> there are things called like neutral evolution <laughs> like <laughs> mutation and drift and <laughs> the things like that and just there is of course culture as well and which is i guess being ignored here right always it just <laughs> makes me frustrated <laughs> because as you know i like evolution i read a lot about it i don't i'm not an evolutionary biologist per se mm-hmm. so you know i haven't got a job in that though <laughs> mm-hmm. so i love you know reading about it and um evo psych ignores a lot of the actual like biology and the actual literature of evolution mm-hmm. <laughs> and biologists have long long known that you know if you want to say something is adaptive you know that's a claim that you need to provide evidence for right and you know it's also a good idea to you know not make it your default hypothesis that everything is adaptive because <laughs> it's Often not. <laughs> <laughs> and you mean we can't just like throw some numbers into like a few squares or lines and say that's evidence? Like, well, no, because that's just like saying something is consistent with adaptation. <laughs> Though, you know, right, right. Depending on how you look at things, everything can be consistent <laughs> with adaptation, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I learned today from, I was watching uh, Joe Rogan with Jeffrey Miller from uh. 2018. And uh, he said something like on there that we've evolved to like podcasts like Rogan's. <laughs> Because that is our natural condition. Our ancestors, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of years ago, were sitting around a campfire and just, you know, enjoying these long-form 
conversations. (laughs) They wouldn't get up until they resolved the issues. You know, they would talk it through. So that's why podcasts like Joe Rogan's are so popular now. Um. Well, I guess guess he's right. (laughs) Like, how could you even, like disprove that claim right (laughs) so well that's such a broad kind of just way of looking at it well you could just say that humans are social creatures and like to talk to each other but i don't know about the specifics of liking long-form podcasts like joe rogan's I know a lot of people that don't like it, so... <laughs> well, yeah, and the evolution of a peer review is, like, an abomination. <laughs> it goes against our nature. Right, everything they don't like is against our nature, and everything <laughs> they like happens to be uh, extremely natural and uh, correct. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and that's... I think to get to... I guess your favorite topic of like the intellectual dark web and the, you know, heterodox people and whatever, you know, yes, I, I have noticed and I'm sure you've noticed that Evo psych is kind of like a favorite, um, science amongst them. Right. Right. So before we say that though, can, yeah. can I ask you if Evo psych, like, would you consider it like a legit, science or (laughs) can you say without upsetting (laughs) (laughs) well i'm biased and i think that most of it is hacky and subpar and embarrassing right and and a uh, an abomination of actual evolutionary biology (laughs) (laughs) and would you say that other evolutionary biologists agree with that or what's What's the general view? Yeah, I think I think the general vibe I've got is that most evolutionary biologists, at first they'll be like, "What's Evo Psych? I've never heard of that." <laughs> and then they're like, <laughs> and then when they and if they do know about what Evo Psych is, they'd be like, "This fucking sucks." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> so yeah, I'm biased. That said, you know, in to be nice, I think there are some evolutionary psychologists who aren't insane. <laughs> so nice of you to say. <laughs> there are some that, you know, like would disagree with like with things they have written about. I would agree with other things that they've written about. Right. Like you know, let's see. I mean, one example like Ed Hagen is an evolutionary psychologist. And, you know, I disagree with a lot of what he said. Like, he thinks depression is an adaptation. I don't think that's true. However, there are other things that he's written about which, you know, I think are reasonable. Oh, just jumping in here again for a sec. Um, I was just informed by Mr. Evo Psych Googling himself that this Ed Hagen guy was apparently out there on Twitter recently defending... Another evolutionary psychologist, Rob Kurzban, who resigned from his professorship when it came out that he was involved in cases of academic sexual misconduct, where he was having inappropriate sexual relationships with students. So that's the one guy Mr. Evo Psych Googling was trying to be nice about. (laughs) 
Oh, and it appears that uh, Ed Hagen has also been downplaying race science in EvoPsych as well. But since we just mentioned professor-student relationships, um, I thought you might like to hear the extremely normal views of Jordan Peterson on those. It's like, well, sex only can take place between people of equal power, whatever the hell that means. Well, that's, that's, that's Sounds part like a of, fun sexual experience. Well, that's part of the reason why, you know, relationships between, say, undergraduates and graduate students or undergraduates and professors in universities are hypothetically verboten, which I think, by the way, is a mistake because are you an adult or not? Now, that doesn't mean it can't be manipulated and it doesn't mean that there are reasons to step forward with propriety and i'm not a fan of promiscuity or one night stands or any casual sexual relationships for that matter but it isn't obvious to me at all who has the upper hand in those sorts of relationships because feminine youth and beauty and charm especially allied with personality and intelligence is a vicious and deadly combination there's not that's not nothing by any stretch of the imagination. Vicious and deadly combination. Vicious and deadly combination. Ugh. Sorry for that interruption. Now we can get back to the regular conversation. And then, you know, there are other reasonable things like, you know, the human cross-cultural love for music. Like, mm-hmm. this is the thing, like, that scientists have found that different cultures like experience the same music in very similar ways like sad music evokes sadness mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know happy music invokes <laughs> emotions of happiness and so you know there's something interesting evolutionarily speaking going on there right and so yeah i think you know that's cool <laughs> and and you know there are i've read a few reasonable or even good, like, EvoPsych papers in, like, one particular EvoPsych journal. And, you know, I think it was, you know, they were good papers mostly because they were more anthropological papers than EvoPsych papers. Like, (laughs) they weren't doing, like, a psych study. They were doing just, like, they were discussing anthropological evidence. And, you know, to me, that's interesting. Uh Yes. So, um, overall... I guess my point is, like, yeah, <laughs> it, I think it sucks. <laughs> and I think there's they, there's a lot of room for improvement there. Right. And they should need, like, some actual uh, evolutionary <laughs> biology. Right. Yeah. So it seems to have some mainstream cred, though. Like, it's not immediately recognized as junk science yeah and i think a lot of that comes down to good like marketing in a sense like Mm -hmm. (laughs) people i mean we're all fascinated by human behavior and these you know a lot of claims make very nice headlines yeah 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 a lot of these like pop science things or like there was this dating show i forget what it's called like this british dating show i think like the 
like naked attraction or something. <laughs> Very um, surprising. Like they fully get naked and zoom in on people's genitals. Uh, and then so like you see the person's. What's going on in the UK? <laughs> yeah, seriously. So they don't show the person's face. So <laughs> the person that is like picking a date has to like see their different body parts. And then base reject and or accept based on that. So I mean, I was watching it because I was like, "This is crazy! Like, how are people? How are people signing up to do this? Like, okay, yeah, I'm on TV here, my genitals, and then someone sees them, they're like, God, no." <laughs> and the host would also like say things like, "Oh, she has a very tidy vagina." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, pretty. Uh, okay, one thing I will agree on with, well, I'm going to start my own Evo Psych subfield of <laughs> oh, how the fuck did the British people evolve? Because <laughs> something, something went horribly wrong there on that island. Oh. So, something about the like you know reproductive isolation <laughs> of being on an island. <laughs> something about inbreeding. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry to any uh, British people, <laughs> any British listeners. Um, or also just maybe culturally having this uh, history of like, colonizing the world uh, gives you certain. Attitudes? Gives you ideas. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so in that show, they would always have these like <laughs> pop facts that would pop up, like oh, like hip to waist ratio, and like it would seem very <laughs> evo. So like, men usually tend to like women with this hip to waist ratio, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I've I think I've made a joke about that before, but. <laughs> I mean, I think with, like, the hip-to-waist ratio thing, I want to know why women haven't all evolved the same hip-to-waist ratio yet. <laughs> Good point. Well, what is going on? That's <laughs> like, right. Hurry up to just get to the optimum already. <laughs> Something is going horribly wrong that all of you are not yet in the optimum ratio. The fact that men have to pick and choose... <laughs> Is it's too much work. It's very inefficient. Yes, yes. Um. Why is evolution not working here? Seriously, hurry it up, evolution. Um, I uh, heard Jordan Peterson talking to his uh, daughter about ideal hip to waist ratios, and uh, I think how it's normal like, father daughter like, conversation. Extremely, like, doesn't everybody like discuss their porn preferences and uh, uh, hip to waist ratio preferences with their dads? <laughs> like, so on the pornographic front, women. It was very comical to read this because. And I had read a fair number of uh, Harlequin romances when I was a kid. My mom used to take them camping, so I read like 200 of them because they were always lying around. I just pick one up and read it. And then I had a client whose sister read the more pornographic versions of Harlequin romances because they have a more spicy yeah, one. Yeah. So I read like 10 of those because I was curious. And then I um, 
Uh, at least that was my excuse. And then, because uh, <laughs> I was dreaming about pirates and surgeons and vampires. Yeah. Anyways, the Google guys showed quite clearly the pattern of female pornographic fantasy preference. It was basically Beauty and the Beast. It was like tough surgeon, pirate, vampire, billionaire. There was one other category I can't remember. Uh, maybe it was corporate. And it was a CEO. It wasn't CEO. No, billionaires yeah, covers yeah, okay. that. But like hyper successful male, dropping around, yeah. you know, arrogant kind of guy. But oh. also someone ideally who will take care of you even when you're feeling sorry for something you shouldn't feel sorry for. Yeah, well, right? the, the fantasy mounts. They have a couple of interactions. There's a fair bit of rejection. There's some yeah. underlying sexual tension. He realizes how beautiful she is. She kind of entices him into establishing yeah, a relationship yeah. with him and tames her. And then, you know, there's some fiery sex that goes along with that. And, yeah. and then, so she's got herself, she's got herself her own monster. And then he serves her purposes in some sense, defense and then generosity and, and competence and production. And so, and that's all unbelievably deeply embedded. Men are visualizing physical features associated fundamentally with fecundity and health. Yeah. Youth, fecundity and health. Yeah. And that would be clear skin, plump lips, uh, reddish huge skin, because that's also youthfully toned, lack yeah. of wrinkles, uh, 0.68 waist to hip ratio, um, um, clear eyes. <laughs> oh, what's especially creepy to me about that relationship is that he has these horrendous views about like how women wearing makeup are signaling like sexual arousal mm. and uh very normal uh <laughs> thing to think about. and his daughter is like interviewing him with like a full face of makeup <laughs> Not, not that there's anything wrong with wearing makeup while talking to your dad, but if your dad thinks it's a sign of sexual arousal, then maybe don't do it. I don't know. It's well, it's it's fine when she does it because, you know, he's obviously not attracted to her. Or does he think that she's <laughs> signaling that she's aroused? I mean, I don't know. It's gross, gross well, I mean, to think about. but It is Jordan Peterson. So yeah. Fair enough. Here's a question: Can men and women work together in the workplace? Yes, I. How I do you do it? How do you know? Because I work with a, a lot of women. Right. Well, it's been happening for what 40 years, and and things are deteriorating very rapidly at the moment in terms of the relationships between men and women. And Is there sexual women? harassment in the workplace? Yes. Should it stop? That'd be good. Will it? Well, not at the moment. It won't because we don't know what the rules are. Do you think men and women can work in the workplace together? I don't know. Without sexual harassment? We'll see. We'll see. How many years will it take for men and women working in the workplace together? More than 40. To get a sense. We don't know what the rules are. Like, what? here's a rule. Don't, don't How about you... no makeup in the workplace? Why would that be a rule? Why should you wear makeup in the workplace? Uh, Isn't that sexually provocative? No. It's not? No. Well, what is it then? What's the purpose of makeup? Uh, some people would like to just put on makeup. Why? To, I don't know why. Why do you make your lips red? Because they turn red during sexual arousal. That's why. Why do you put rouge on your cheeks? Same reason. I mean, look. How about high heels? What, what, are they what about high heels? What about them? They're there to, to exaggerate sexual attractiveness. That's what high heels do. Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't use sexual displays in the workplace. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that that is what they're doing. And that is what they're doing. If, if, do you feel like a serious woman who does not want sexual harassment in the workplace, do you feel like if she wears makeup in the workplace that she is somewhat being critical? Yeah. Okay. I do think that. Yeah, and then he talked about how butterflies are uh, 
really superior at evolution or adapting because they're so symmetrical. <laughs> and uh, somehow he tied it into the Sports Illustrated magazine oh. <laughs> that didn't make him horny. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, just really weird shit around this in-cell science. So, yes. yeah. So you well, say it's kind of hacky for sure, though there are some yeah. that are not crazy, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but then they have good marketing. I mean, I guess it sounds, to someone who isn't like well-versed in this culture of online reactionary stuff. When you hear something like, oh, evolutionary psychology, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds real, it sounds legit, it sounds not harmful. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose, let me be fair again and be nice. I'll draw a boundary between the, you know, academic evolutionary psychologists and the... The, I suppose, the Evo Psych bros, mm. like Jordan Peterson and Brett Weinstein. Mm -hmm. These, like, just pure, like, grifters <laughs> who, but they, like, promote Evo Psych. Yeah. And they, like, really run with it. And, you know, I, in a, you know there is definitely, like, a blurry line between <laughs> those two camps, <laughs> as we've seen with, like, Jeffrey Miller. <laughs> <laughs> See, so you start off trying to be nice, but you can't stick to it. <laughs> you try. I just evolved that way. <laughs> oh, yes. So. Yeah. Okay. Like, it definitely, like, brought up Peterson. And it's so obvious with Peterson, like, that the Evo Psych and the, like, biological determinist talking points he has like, ties directly into his political beliefs. Mm -hmm. Like, they are inseparable. <laughs> like, his political beliefs are, in a sense, like, based on his, under his shitty understanding of, like, evolutionary biology. <laughs> right? <laughs> you mean uh, we don't all want, like, hierarchies because lobsters do? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's the thing, like, that he keeps saying is, like, human society has like hierarchies where obviously the dominant individuals they rise to the top and it's kind of like this capitalist you know capitalism is natural mm -hmm. and biological even <clears throat> because this <laughs> this view of biology and then also like women you know, being distracting in the workplace. <laughs> God, what else has he said as well? Like, uh, women says, have co-evolved with ripe fruit. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting to me how, like, Evo Psych ties into, like, this kind of right-wing reactionary political belief system yeah. where... And you see this with, you know, the intellectual dark web people. Yeah, exactly, as you were saying earlier. <laughs> Women have co-evolved with ripe fruit. Very <laughs> sneaky of you, by the way. Lipstick is always associated with, like, apples that are glistening in some way, or a peach or something like that. And we're, we were primarily fruit eaters. 
And the reason we have color vision is to detect fruit, ripe fruit. And so part of the reason that, also part of the reason that fruit turns red or colored when it ripens is because the fruit that was successfully eaten by creatures that distributed the seeds was the fruit that was ripe when it was eaten. And so as the color vision evolved, maybe there was a red tint for God only knows what reason, then a positive feedback loop developed and fruit got redder and redder. And at the same time, women capitalized on that. So why are they, do you think, so drawn to it? Like, what is it about Evo Psych that draws them all in? Yeah, I mean, I think it's basically biological (laughs) determinism Mm -hmm. where it is, like, where society is an extension of the individual like civilization is an extension of the individual and the individual is determined by our DNA and (laughs) our DNA is determined by evolution. (laughs) So (laughs) you have this like very reductive view of society. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess their view of like, what is the right, what is the right structure of society? It is, it's not just political, it's, like, biological to them. It's like, if you try to change that, then you are violating <laughs> biology. And if you do change that, then, you know, they will only lead to chaos and destruction and bad things. Right, right. And there are very, like, <laughs> hardcore status quo warriors, right? Like, yeah. so what could be better than just saying that it's deeply biologically ingrained in us and we can't change things? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, if it's biological, then in a sense, it's immutable, unchangeable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you are poor, it is because you know you have poor <laughs> DNA that makes you poor. <laughs> right. <laughs> and well, if you're dumb, it's because you have the DNA that makes you dumb. <laughs> and you know your place in the structure of society is you know justified yeah. on that. Yeah, and especially their place in society. Like, they're a very privileged group of people. Their place as, like, the philosopher kings, basically. exactly. And they were biologically meant to be that way. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And I think that really just boils down to that, where (laughs) it's just a justification of, yeah, the dominant status quo that they like yeah and to, they love justifying their bigotries and in intelligent sounding ways so you know they lap <laughs> yeah. that stuff up don't like women don't like immigrants don't like people of color let's see what mm. we can do with the evo psych oh yeah i mean that and it leads to like some really nasty areas of Evo Psych, and again, to be nice, (laughs) there is, I guess, there is some boundary between, like, the Evo Psych that we've talked about so far, (laughs) which is kind of just, like, dumb and sexist, versus, like, the Evo Psych, which is basically race science, (laughs) which is, you know, racist and promotes eugenics and... Uh, this is the kind of stuff that Sam Harris uh, endorses. Oh, <laughs> when, yes, that guy. <laughs> he had uh, Charles Murray on his podcast, and we all remember that. Yep, I do remember that. 
and uh, I mean, he thinks James Damore did absolutely nothing wrong but state facts. <laughs> Sam Harris is just a smart guy, so, so smart. you're misrepresenting him. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you can do. Unless you're in complete and total agreement with him, just assume you're either mentally ill or uh, just misrepresenting and lying. Those are the only options. Either you agree or you're crazy <laughs> or a liar. It's impossible for him to be wrong. No, yeah, know, totally. And also he is the most rational. humble guy you have ever met who doesn't, you know, <laughs> hesitate to correct himself whenever he's wrong, except he never does. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a little clip from Harris's live event with esteemed guest Jeffrey Miller, which uh, speaks for itself, really. And don't miss the terms diversity indoctrination and diversity agenda, which totally, totally sound like regular terms non-bigots use all the time, right? And I read the memo and I thought, hey... This is all pretty much scientifically correct. I would give this an A if this is a paper in a graduate seminar, but B, this is going to be a world of hurt for Demore because I'm sure Google doesn't want this news. And indeed, that's that's what happened. But then let's just pause there for a second because it is a shock, or at least it should come as a shock to us, that he was fired for writing something which you, an expert in the field, said is scientifically correct. And there was no no malicious framing of it. It was just this this summary of what he believed to be the the current science and his his fairly tame pushback against this this diversity indoctrination that he was having to to weather as an employee. Uh, There's still people out there who think that he did something incredibly ugly that that merited his firing, but we seem to be quite far from that. Yeah, I I mean, when I read it, I thought it's actually surprising that someone who's not a psychology professor would get the empirical research pretty much that that accurate. And it's kind of surprising and alarming that Google didn't care that it was accurate, that it, it transgressed their diversity agenda so awkwardly, precisely because his claims were empirically pretty well supported. So they didn't really have any defense apart from firing him and saying he perpetuated harmful gender stereotypes. That's all they could really, really do. Um, but yeah. Do you want to talk about Brett Weinstein oh. briefly? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay, so when I tweeted out that you're coming on, uh, a lot of people got very excited. And uh, some people shared <laughs> some great clips with me. Uh, one was about Brett Weinstein and the um, autoerotic... <laughs> Asphyxiation theory. <laughs> uh, I love that. <laughs> that was so good. So good. Who could even think that up? So many things that were very remote uh, contingencies in history have apparently produced offspring, like, um, you know, the uh, apparent tendency of people being hung to orgasm, right? What is that? That is likely to be the body 
taking one last shot. There's no point. There's no this way. This is a new one on me. You, you so think you're talking about autoerotic asphyxiation? Is that what you're talking about? Well, actually, I wasn't talking about that, but it's a better example. It shows you that there's some part. Being hung? What do you mean, then? I mean He's being, talking about actual execution. I think, grammatically, I mean being hanged. Right, being hanged. Yeah, I'm so, so confused. So, so they, they get careful orgasms? I... When they die? I'm, I'm working from anecdote here. I have read that, I, but I don't know of any... Many people are checking the underwear. People just got hung. Jeez. But my point would be, what has to be true in order for such a pattern to evolve? So let's take auto-erotic well, It's a dandelion strategy, I mean, is, is what you're arguing, basically. This is, um, you know, dandelions who go to seed as after you pick them and spread their seeds, right? Like, is that going to work? Last-ditch efforts Last of reproduction. Last-ditch efforts of Hail Marys. And so the point is, I think this is probably not obvious unless you're used to thinking evolutionarily, but in order for a pattern to occur where some entity releases sexual propagules on death, in order for that to evolve, it has to have worked enough times for that pattern to have accumulated. And so if autoerotic asphyxiation is the result of people tapping into that thing and you know, traversing a landscape near death in order to increase sexual pleasure. What that suggests is that that landscape near death has actually had a certain amount of reproduction happen in it that has resulted in this circuitry being present. Like it didn't, it didn't even <laughs> seem like he knew what he was talking about. Like I'm going to yeah. stick that clip in here when I edit, but uh... <laughs> He really was like coming up with it on the fly. Like I, I it was so confusing because mm. it didn't even seem like he knew what autoerotic asphyxiation was at the time. But then <laughs> he jumped on. He's like, yeah, 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 that's a good example. So he was just saying <laughs> that like when people get executed, they like evolve to like come. Like, is that yes. what he was saying? Yes, he's saying that Brett Weinstein is amazing because he's like the, like, he is the epitome of like pure caricature of the hyper adaptationist <laughs> evil psych point of view. Like, I'm sure, yeah, if you ask, you know, most evil psychologists, they'll be like, yeah, of course not everything is an adaptation. We know that. <laughs> and it's like, okay. But then you have Brett Weinstein. I know he's not an evolutionary psychologist, but he loves it. And yeah, he's yeah. Run with it, and like <laughs> everything, like everything is an adaptation with him. But he is a biologist, like, no? He, well, <laughs> this was um, a topic Kevin Bird and I wanted to discuss on our failed podcast. Oh, I hope it <laughs> happens someday. <laughs> well, he's a biologist in name <laughs> only. <laughs> yeah, if you actually look at like what he's written about and like his thesis, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> How do this is this sucks. Okay, no wonder he didn't like. There was a time where he was tweeting about peanut allergies, and he he wasn't aware that like people can get reactions just from it being in the air. And I'm like, I'm not a biologist, but I know that. Like, well, he probably thinks that peanut allergies have like an adaptive benefit <laughs> somehow. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I can't. I'm not dumb enough to even think of what it would be on the fly. <laughs> okay, so tell us more about what 
possibly could make him think that people are coming when they get executed, when they're hanged. Yeah. Well, his, what I believe was, he was saying was like, when people get hanged, but men get hanged, <laughs> it, they like, uh, come as like just a lost ditch effort by the body to be like spread the DNA. Like maybe it'll hit Where is um, it gonna go? a woman. What? Hit the woman in the face maybe and then, you know, maybe somehow get inside her that way. I don't know. Well, no, but yeah, he, he said that. It was like a loss is the body's way oh of like uh, abandoned ship, like come on, just maybe it'll work. And, you know, for that, let's assume, let's take this, like, literally, for this to happen, there needed to be, like, you know, variants in the gene pool that would, you know, that would do this, <laughs> that would, you know, make a man come as he was hanged, specifically. It doesn't happen when you, like... It only happens when they get hanged, which is interesting. <laughs> and who has checked them? Like, just, like, like if, if you get stabbed in the chest, I don't think <laughs> men come usually. I don't know if they do if I they're hanged. I haven't experienced, you know, dying, so I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, we have to assume that there was enough hanging going around. And there were variants that would do, like, you know, code for that uh, physiological response. <laughs> right, yeah. And and then it had to be a successful enough physiological response. <laughs> like, it was actually... To be passed on. ...hitting women yeah. in, you know, in bullseye. <laughs> Ow! Ow! <laughs> and... And you know, and passing on the <laughs> the alleles coding for that behavior that way. Like, how would that and, happen you know, at an execution? Just try to picture. Like, is a woman just laying there? Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, what is going on in these um, <laughs> archaic <laughs> executions? Oh my god, it's frightening. <laughs> but yeah, I want to know how. Like, how likely could that have been? I don't think. That is very likely at all. <laughs> I mean, I'm no scientist, but I also don't think that's very likely. But, I mean, lady brain, and, so yeah. I might not well, know. Well, yeah. And, you know, that goes back to the thing I was saying before, is, like, the adaptationist point of view can't explain everything. <laughs> there are things in biology which are weird and very, very hard to explain from the point of view of an adaptation. <laughs> there are other things going on, though, that can help explain. Like, it's just a fucking freak accident of physiology, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's something going on with getting hanged that... <laughs> It, you know, causes, I don't know, the nervous system to do that. If it even does. Like, do we even know if, if it even, Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that's true. I, like, I don't even know how true this whole <laughs> execution thing is. Yeah, I, anyway, I don't know there's about a difference that. Between, there's a difference between, like, erotic 
asphyxiation and, yeah, getting hanged, right? But then, yeah, so that's why his wife said, what are you talking about, like... Autoerotic asphyxiation, and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's, oh yeah, that's a good. Well, there you go. <laughs> that's a good example. <laughs> that's probably why that uh, developed as a people wanted to do that because it's like some kind of response, to a last ditch effort. To <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> he's uh, amazing. Yeah. No, him and his brother both so good. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, just two brothers, just, just two brothers shooting the shit. Oh my gosh! Have you ever heard them talk to each other? Like sometimes on Twitter, they're like, you know, I have listened to yeah their podcast together. Yeah, where Eric was um, talking about how. Brett was robbed of the Nobel Prize. Oh, yes. And Brett agrees. So, yeah. I, <laughs> that Nobel Prize winner stole my idea. <laughs> and I was, yeah. Kevin Bird and I, we looked into this. And we found that, actually, no, this is a general idea that was around. And, again, like, ideas are cheap in science. Like... <laughs> what it was but basically like um the yeah like lab mice have unnaturally longer telomeres or something and this has implications um (laughs) and you know he didn't come up he didn't like invent this idea it's not like he's he doesn't own it (laughs) and the people who did the, like, experiments, and I think it was, like, even before he was, like, writing about this. Like, you know, they did the experiments and showed that, yeah, mice, lab mice do have longer telomeres or something than, you know, wild mice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, like, an interesting fact, but nothing, like, Nobel Prize winning, because... <laughs> The thing he was complaining about was, like, there was the woman who won the Nobel Prize that he was complaining about. Like, she won the Nobel Prize for many other reasons than just that one thing about... Right, right, right. <laughs> <the lab versus wild laughs> telomere lengths. But like, they <laughs> legit think that they were robbed of their... I don't know, was it just... Didn't Eric also sometime, like, claim he also deserved one? Or am I just imagining this? No, I think, yeah, well, he... Maybe not Nobel Prize, but he did come up with something that he said, like, that he, what was it, has a groundbreaking, like, general theory of physics or something. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but that he yes, refused sorry. to publish it. Yeah. Or refused to even submit it to peer oh, review. Oh, yes. Like, and he also demanded that some mus- musician let him on stage and, like, play or something. And then he got mad. <laughs> so weird. When the guy was like, no. I remember <laughs> that. So, so entitled. They're so entitled. And then they talk to each other. Like, there's this tweet that I'm looking at. It's from 2019. <laughs> Brett Weinstein tweets, I had an interesting and difficult conversation with Eric Weinstein about recent Twitter events. He added an important dimension to the lesson I had already discovered this week. (laughs) And and then Eric quote tweets him, I appreciate the grace 
with which such an introspection is offered, a marvelous Christian trait, which spread <laughs> because it begets reciprocity. <laughs> what kind Just of... talk to each other like regular people, please. <laughs> so strange. They remind me of like the brothers, um, the night at the Roxbury. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, like a weird version of that. They're such dorks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they can't even talk to each other. I don't know um, if after the whole COVID thing, if there's some tension between them or not, but um, I sense. I, thought, I think there's both just like conspiracy theorist weirdos, right? Like, I know Brett Weinstein is like full anti vax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Eric is like only half. so that makes things a little bit tense and um we have polite conversations about our disagreements (laughs) (laughs) right and then uh, eric is all about the ufos lately oh i didn't know that oh you didn't oh yeah he he claims and also sam harris claims that some like government official has contacted them and they'll show them proof of ufos Soon, and it just hasn't—it hasn't happened yet, but it's gonna happen. This is probably premature to even talk about this, but you know, I have someone reached out to me and has assured me that you know I'm going to be on a Zoom call with you know former heads of you know the CIA and uh, Office of Naval Research and people you know, high, you know whose bona fides are very easy to track, and they're they're concerned about the messaging around all of this to the public and dampening down panic and and conspiracy theories, and but the. You know, what is being promised here is a disclosure that is, frankly, either the most alarming or the most interesting thing in the world, depending on your how you take it. But it's not a representation of the facts that will give scientific skeptics any comfort. And that's just, you know, we're faced with the prospect of having to apologize to the people we've been laughing at for the last 50 years who, you know, who have been alleging that, you know, they've been abducted or that, you know, cattle have been anally probed. Pick your punchline. And the speculation <laughs> online is that someone has pranked them, like, by calling them and telling them that uh, the government has <laughs> proof of UFOs and they've chosen these two guys specifically to, like, um, to show. And it's just not happening. <laughs> the two most gullible men in the world. Only they wouldn't question, like, why is the government contacting me about this? They'd be like, yeah, of course, of course, I am the person for the job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of uh, polite conversations and Brett Weinstein, Hmm. at Evo Psych, of course, do you remember the, I guess, onstage event that both Richard Dawkins and Brett Weinstein had, where they, like, had a sit-down on stage Hmm. and talked about things? Yeah, and wasn't Dawkins, like, what the fuck are you on about at some point? Yeah, <laughs> Dawkins realized slowly realized that hmm, this guy is uh, <laughs> this guy is fucking insane. <laughs> I mean, so is Dawkins, but yeah, that's true. Different ways, <laughs> just like <laughs> yeah, because it's funny that um, because obviously Brett Weinstein is like a huge Dawkins fan, uh-huh. and like the selfish gene is a big inspiration to Brett Weinstein and 
and he really ran with it and, you know, explains everything from, you know, <laughs> the Gene's perspective. <laughs> and, but you, you can see Dawkins is being like, mm, I think you're taking my metaphor too far. <laughs> <laughs> so awkward. Because <laughs> Brett Weinstein being like, yeah, the, could explain the Holocaust oh, or like World no. War II. Oh, no. From, you know an evolutionary or selfish gene point of view because you have the german genes versus the jewish genes and yeah basically saying this you could see dawkins being like oh Oh, (laughs) he's like i don't think it's wise this is more we should defer to historians on this matter (laughs) oh it's so fun when there's tension or uncomfortableness between the idw guys it's so good (laughs) yeah dawkins is like what have i created (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) you weren't meant to take it that far What this was, was a lineage-level phenomenon in which a population uh, went after two other populations, one that was internal to its borders or its near neighbors, and one population that was distant but had a great many resources. But the point is, understood from the perspective of German genes, uh, vile as these behaviors were, they were completely comprehensible from the level of fitness. It was abhorrent and unacceptable, but understandable that Germany should have viewed its Jewish population as uh, a source of resources. If you viewed Jews as uh, non-people, then whatever resources they had could be uh, appropriated for German genes. And likewise, the future of Germany lies in Russia. All of the resources of Russia, and how many million is it? 20 million Russians it took to turn the German war machine around. So what you have are these population against population conflicts. If you view it as group selection, it makes no sense. But if you view them as lineages, it makes a great deal of sense. And the belief structures that caused people to step onto battlefields and fight um, were uh, clearly comprehensible as adaptations of the lineages in question. I think nationalism might be an even greater evil than religion, and I'm not sure that it's actually very helpful to talk about it in Darwinian terms. I think it's um, perhaps here's a, this might be a case where we do need to defer a little bit to historians and non-biologists and think about it in other ways. <laughs> well, these brothers and their like uh, analogies and comparisons are super weird. I mean, there was a time where Eric Weinstein says <laughs> the crime of driving while black has become oh God. thinking while white. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That is incredible. It, yeah, just no words. I think they're they're talking about BLM after George Floyd, but the, oh, like they're portraying themselves as the victims. Yes, very big like victim complex. Thinking while white. Wow. Like yeah, sure. How many guys are shot by the cops for thinking while white? 
Well, white guys evolve to be thinking. So. <laughs> right, right. You can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I used to do this, like, joke parody, uh, like, comic strip called Rational Man. This guy with, like, a big brain sticking out of his head, and he would just <laughs> do ridiculous shit. And they just took the fun out of doing it because they became more and more ridiculous. I couldn't... Couldn't any more like be more ridiculous than that? <laughs> so I just stopped doing it. But, uh. Well, I mean, that's how I feel about my own Twitter account. Like, <laughs> oh. Jeffrey Miller just produces bangers that I can never hope to. <laughs> you can't keep up, live with up to. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. No, but I legit get sad when you're not on Twitter for a long period. Oh, thank you. Because we have lost many uh, soldiers in the battle of ideas. You know, there used to be. Uh, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Many fallen heroes. Exactly. There was a uh, logician, Tom Bloke. A lot of people will remember that guy. Yes, I oh, I remember him. I miss he him so amazing... much. Yeah. And now his account is just gone. Before his account, like, he had left it there so he could, like, look up his tweets and reference mm, oh them. But now they're just gone. So, you know. Oh, he has some, yeah, great tweets with, like, Gadsad. Yeah, yeah. Gadsad in the movie. Do you remember that? He re- no, wait, no, I don't remember that, actually. Gadsad went to a movie theater, and he did, like, I don't know, like, a six-tweet thread about how he was super oppressed in this movie theater because someone came and sat close to him, and he had to move his coat, and there were other free seats. <laughs> Another one of my favorite evolutionary psychologists. Oh, God, God, yes. Or what about there's a thing called sexual racism, where you specifically, you know, are not attracted to a particular, you know. know, Yes. I I don't like uh, Asian men. I don't like uh, black women, right? You're not supposed to instantiate those sexual preferences if the racial cue is the one that's causing you to either be attracted or not attracted to someone. One of the, yeah, definitely one of the more insane ones, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Though you've used that adjective for, like, all of them so far, but yes. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gadsad is something else. He has to always clarify that He's doing satire by being so ridiculous, and nobody seems to get it, apparently. But if you have to keep telling people that your whole thing (laughs) is satire... (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely... It has a very, like, desperate kind of vibe. Like, you're trying too hard, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just chill out. (laughs) (laughs) Ever since he was rejected for the... uh, IDW intro New York Times piece <laughs> by Barry Weiss. <laughs> and then someone put him, like, they photoshopped him into that dinner picture where they're all in there, like, behind the yes. bushes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, Gadsad is is hilarious, but not in the way he thinks he is. Exactly. Because, like, he's so catty and, like, messy. Because he'll, like, will, like, make a rant video on YouTube where he'll be, like, talking directly to Sam Harris. He'll be like, I am so disappointed in you, Sam Harris. (laughs) And 
you need to respond to me. <laughs> It'll just be like this very just <laughs> catty behavior. <laughs> like, what is Yeah, and then he'll have nicknames like Malibu Meditator or... <laughs> <laughs> but it is funny just how like clearly upset he is that he has been like uh, disrespected by Sam Harris and others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't honestly can't believe that he's a professor and that he teaches people a professor of marketing, mind you, but mm, that is like the super weird thing is how he's like an evolutionary psychologist of marketing (laughs) this horribly cursed like (laughs) hybrid (laughs) well i remember he would get so mad like at any like toy releases that were gender neutral he would just spend days and days like getting angry at the (laughs) poor journalist who wrote up like something about lego's new I don't know. (laughs) Or Barbie's new gender neutral. I don't know. I can't remember the specifics, but something along those lines. And uh, Gad would just be livid. Like, don't you know that girls like to play with dolls? (laughs) It's, yeah, it's evolution. Yeah, apparently. I mean, I don't see why they get so mad. And so, like, if things are changing... Uh, could that also not be evolution? <laughs> I mean, it's capitalism, but can you not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can you not come to terms with it? <laughs> yeah, what have they considered that maybe that is evolution? <laughs> Another guy uh, that uh, takes Gad's side seriously is Jordan Peterson. And I think, like... Peterson is like now way more famous so Gad is so excited to have this like super famous friend Mm. that legitimizes (laughs) him and still makes him feel like he's part of the cool kids you know (laughs) yeah it would be like Professor Peterson sir (laughs) I respect you so dearly (laughs) I know (laughs) it would be like okay calm down (laughs) he used to tag all his friends in like any tweet Yes. He once had, like, a four-day meltdown um, about me, and Mm. then he blocked me. This was back in the day when uh, I used to talk to Jerry Coyne regularly, and Jerry Coyne (laughs) posted something that I wrote on his blog, and that made Gad very angry, because I said, well, Gad and Dave Rubin are, like... um, (laughs) <laughs> friendly with uh, like great replacement advocates or I forget uh, yeah. like with, about yeah, no. Paul Joseph Watson and and then yeah yeah so Gad lost his shit and started tagging everyone <laughs> Sam Harris uh, Jerry Coyne like he was so desperate that they jump in on this argument and none of them ever <laughs> responded to him like every, yeah, of course. He did like five pages of tweets about me, and he tagged them in everything. He's like, help, come to my help. <laughs> Guys. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I remember before he blocked me, like he was tagging a bunch of people, and one of them was also like Dave Chappelle. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, he's like way famous, and like you guys have never met, yeah. right? <laughs> so I was like, why are you tagging these people? <laughs> Do they ever respond? Yeah. And he blocked me for that, so. 
shame. They are very sensitive. Like, for people who go on about how woke college kids are snowflakes (laughs) and they can't handle disagreement, these guys certainly can't handle any disagreement at all. Mm. Well, you brought up the great replacement theory. Mm. Do you want to talk about Jeffrey Miller? Yeah, let's go back (laughs) to old Jeff. (laughs) So... Another guy who believes the Great Replacement Theory. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support it, there are several ways you can do that. You can share it online, talk about what you just heard. You can leave a five-star review to help others find it too. And you can also subscribe via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No E in mangoes. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter before it's uh, completely wrecked, you'll find me at nice mangoes. Again, no E in mangoes.